Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, happy Easter! Man, how was that when those lights came on, huh? Anybody wake up? Oh, man. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, my gosh. So in the, uh, in the Greek uh, Orthodox Church, there's this beautiful tradition at Easter time that when someone greets another person, they say to them, Christos Anesti, which means Christ is risen. And the response is Alithos Anesti, which means he is truly risen. So let's try it. Christos Anesti. Oh, boy, that was... You weren't brushing up on your Greek, I see. Christos Anesti, Alithos Anesti. Christos Anesti! That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You almost sound like Baptist. Okay. <laughs> Friends, our vigil, our vigil tonight, the vigil, the liturgy of all liturgies, the mass of all masses, the vigil tonight it begins in pitch darkness. The church actually specifies when this Mass can take place. It has to be a certain amount of time after sundown. The church wants to ensure that all light is extinguished, that we begin in dark. Everything still cloaked in the heaviness, the darkness of yesterday's horror, the defeat of yesterday. There is something so awful about how unresolved Good Friday feels, that unresolved dissonant note of Good Friday, that he's dead, he's buried, the tabernacle is empty, the altar is stripped, that God is dead, and we killed him, he's in the tomb, and all hope, all hope is dashed. That's where we begin, and then from that darkness, a spark is struck. And a fire from the darkness springs and light blazes out of the darkness. And we heard sung at the beginning, may the light of Christ rising in glory dispel the darkness of our hearts and minds. That's how this all begins. Why? Because just as the world's creation begins with darkness and chaos and then the command, let there be light. So too this night, the world's recreation, it begins in a still even deeper darkness, the darkness of a tomb that was holding the corpse of the Son of Man and the Father's voice now whispers over, not over the waters, but over the corpse of his beloved Son and again says, let there be light. And there's light. In so many ways this night, this night is about light. This night is about illumination. It's about the hope that light brings. It's about the triumph of light over darkness. We heard in that exalted over and over again, the triumph of Christ. The triumph of Christ. Is that not what this brave candle was proclaiming to us as it came into the darkness of this church, right? The church still just filled with darkness, Christ, the light of the world, he seemed, as of yesterday, he seemed to have been extinguished, right? The light of the world seemed to have been extinguished, but only outwardly, because he was descending into the heart of darkness. He was invading 
hell's fortress, and he was coming to claim from the viceroy of hell, give me the keys, your reign is over. And he speaks into the darkness of hell, let there be light. And just imagine the shriek and the horror that explodes into that place of darkness as light invades the dungeon. And then that light begins to spread. And as it spreads, it doesn't diminish. That's the thing about the light. When it spreads, it's not divided. It's multiplied. It's multiplied. And that's what has happened through the centuries of the church, that from person to person, from that first explosion from the tomb, that light has spread from one heart to another heart, that the fire of the sacred heart that seemed extinguished has only spread farther and farther into the far reaches of the earth and through time until it's finally come to us that we are the inheritors of so many people through so many centuries who have let the flame touch their lives. Because friends, tonight what we do, what we come here to do is we declare the unspeakably good news that Christ, who is our champion, who took to himself our nature, who took to himself the sin of this world, who became sin on the cross, as St. Paul said, he descended into the heart of darkness Not to be abandoned there, but to be victorious in that place. And we've come to stake our lives on that. That's what we do here. That's what we heard in that exaltate. This night that sets Christian believers apart from from the rest of the world. We come here to do something that in the first centuries of the church, we would have been risking our lives to be here. But we come here to stake our lives on this. And there's 12 in our midst who've been journeying with our Becoming Catholic community this entire year and their sponsors. Some of them have been journeying in this path to becoming Catholic for years, but you are going to be received into full communion this night. You're going to be baptized, confirmed, receive First Eucharist, and your lives will be forever changed. That this is something that, that the angels have envy for. What you experience tonight is the cause of Lucifer's rebellion. That he looked at how God wanted to unite himself to our human nature. What you're going to experience tonight is what caused the fall of the angels. That's how powerful this is. That's how powerful this is. Friends, I want us to linger tonight for a moment in the gospel that we just heard Deacon Rich proclaim And like always, I want to unpack this gospel a little bit and mine the riches there. And most especially, I want us to be challenged by the Lord Jesus because he says three things, three things the risen Lord says, and they are all three very challenging. Before I get to those three things, this is the first preliminary I want to say. Here's the first thing I want to draw our attention to, that this liturgy, unlike all the church's liturgies, this liturgy lays out this veritable smorgasbord of readings for us, right? We had five readings from the Old Testament, an epistle from the New Testament, a gospel, and believe it or not, we even cut out some of the readings. I say we do all of them next year. Who's in favor? Who's with me? Come on now. Come on, people. Deacon, there you go. I say we go for it all next year. We'd only be adding two more, right? Come on now. So our readings begin in the beginning. We're giving this overview of salvation history. We begin with the creation covenant of Yahweh with Adam and Eve, our first parents in paradise. The creation is God's first gift to man. It's his first gift. And who here has not been overwhelmed by God's creation, just gobsmacked by some element of glory that God has made? 
stars, sunsets, flowers. Like, look at this, right? Gosh. That the sheer beauty, the magnificence, the grandeur, the glory, all of, it, all of this was made for us. And it's all speaking this song of communion and life if we listen to it. That's where we were made. We were made for Eden. We were made for paradise. That's where the story begins. But the story doesn't stay there. We don't stay in paradise. An enemy enters into the story. And again, out of the lofty position for which we were destined, he goes to war against us, launching this preemptive assault against our hearts. And as a result of all this, this disobedience arises in our hearts and sin enters the story. But again, God does not abandon us to that place, that he launches the rescue mission and begins to offer covenants. That's what we heard in all of those readings from the Old Testament, that the covenant first given to Noah and his family, then to Abraham and his tribe, and then to Moses, and then to David. And all throughout, what God is attempting to do is he's trying to re-glue humanity back to divinity. All of this, all of this. We heard about how God fights for his people in the story of the Exodus, right? The Egyptians had enslaved God's people for 430 years. And God acts in a decisive way. He enters into the story and he liberates them through Moses. That beautiful line, Exodus 14, where we hear God says, Just stand still and I will fight for you. And he does and he's gloriously triumphant. And Pat Milo, if you could narrate my life, <laughs> no one reads the story of Exodus better than Pat Milo. I feel like I'm there. <laughs> The Egyptians. <laughs> He's fighting for his people. He's fighting for his people. Then we hear from the hearts of the prophets who are longing for this, this time of covenant fulfillment. The longing for a new and perfect covenant that won't be broken. That God would write his law in our hearts. That he would give us a new spirit. That we would be transformed from the inside. Becoming, as St. Paul says, a new creation is what we're wanting. So the point I'm trying to make here at the beginning here is that the, this liturgy, what the church is trying to point out is that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it doesn't come out of the blue. The resurrection of Jesus comes about as the fulfillment of the project that God launched from the very beginning. That this is the culmination of everything that he was promising. Right? Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth. Now imagine Jesus as earth in the tomb. The Spirit breathes upon him like the Spirit breathed upon the first man in Genesis. This creature of earth, Adama, literally means dirt man. The Spirit breathes upon the corpse of Jesus who is earth and he renews him. Like the beginning of the recreation begins right there in the tomb. The resurrectification of all of creation begins right there in the tomb. That what happened this Easter morning, it was, yes, absolutely something new, but it was in continuity with everything that God had been doing. The God of the covenants, the God of faithfulness, the God of the promises. He's recreating. He doesn't delete creation. He completes creation. That's a good bumper sticker. This is why, friends, this is why the evangelists, all of them, when they're telling the story of the resurrection, they all start by taking us back, by saying something like, after the Sabbath, 
as the first day of the week was dawning. If you're a Jew and you hear that, you're automatically brought back to Genesis 1, the first day of the week, the, first, the world's first creation. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. We were meant to hear the echo of creation, that something new is breaking in, recreation is happening. Easter Day is not the, it's not the happy ending after the sad and dark story of Holy Week. Easter is the start of something. It's the start of something. And then what Jesus does in this Easter mystery is he empowers his disciples. He breathes upon them the same spirit that raised him from the dead. Now they have in them this life-giving spirit. They are living this new kind of life. And then he sends them out that they begin to bring into the world this resurrection life. Like we are just part of the process that we are part of the recreation down through the centuries bringing us to this moment and it is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And the craziest part of all of this tonight is that it's true. This is true. This is the myth that became fact. This is one of C.S. Lewis's favorite lines that Christianity is the myth that became fact, that all of those ancient mythologies of the ancient peoples that told the stories of the dying and rising gods, they really, those stories had their place as being prophetic, pointing to the actual story when the real God would die and rise. Friends, the account of Easter morning that we just heard, yes, it has elements to it that feel mythical, that feel fantastical, but it also is a strange story. It reads like the account of someone who's, who saw like a car accident. Like there's weird elements. There's parts that don't make sense. It reads like eyewitness testimony. Someone who really saw something that happened to real people, and these real people are only doing the best they can to describe the otherworldly thing that happened to them. For starters, just notice this. How strange it is that in all of the Gospels, no one attempts to describe the actual resurrection itself. No one attempts to give us a first point of view of the tomb, inside the tomb. We don't actually see the resurrection. If you were making this up, that'd probably be the first thing you'd write. No one describes it. There's no description. Nor do we see Jesus how we might expect. Notice this. So the women come to the tomb not out of faith. They come there out of love. They, they just want to be near his body. And as they neared the tomb, I love this, that heaven is watching. And the Father, who's attentive to their hearts, their hearts that are burning and aching with love and longing and mourning, the Father, the Father rends the earth with this mighty earthquake. It's powerful, it's terrifying, it's cosmic. And then all of a sudden, Boom! Comes down this angel from heaven, this bolt of living lightning who then just throws the stone away like we just like toss our t-shirts off to the side. Just like nothing, right? This stone that literally represents death, finality, hopelessness, the worst thing imaginable. Heaven just goes, and it's brushed aside. And then the angel sits on top of the stone. I love this detail. He just like plops himself on top of the stone. This is now his throne. 
And from the stone, heaven proclaims the gospel, saying, the most incredible news that I know you are, I know that you are seeking Jesus the crucified. He's not here. He has been raised. The angel proclaims that sitting on top of the stone. I love that detail. And then he commands them to go and tell his disciples. He says, he has been raised from the dead and is going before you to Galilee. And then one of the strangest, most muted lines of all scripture. They ran away, fearful, yet overjoyed. <laughs> you think? And then Jesus meets them on the way. It's as if Jesus couldn't even wait. He wanted to interrupt their journey. That they're going to event, they're going to bring the gospel to his disciples, and he interrupts them. It's like he couldn't even wait any longer. And notice how he's described. He's not, he's not described like the angels described. The angel comes down in this celestial glory, radiant, like lightning. The earth quakes open. You would think that after all that we've been through with Jesus over these past few days, after all that he's been through after all these days, that maybe we would see him described like how he looked in the transfiguration, right? Radiant, glorious, ripped, so much awesome hair, right? I'm always thinking about Jesus' hair. You would think, right? But that's not how he shows up. He's just there. I want to speak to our almost new Catholics. So often, our encounter with the risen Jesus will be just like this. There's not going to be bolts of lightning. There's not going to be earthquakes. There's not going to be big, booming voices from the heavens. Oftentimes, your encounter with the risen Jesus will feel very ordinary. Almost always, it will be feeling very ordinary. And that's really okay. That's how he shows up the first Easter morning. So then the Lord speaks these three things to them. Three commands. The first is his greeting. In the translation that we have for the lectionary, it just simply says, and he greeted them. Now, okay, no one consulted me on my Greek translation, but that's a horrible translation of the Greek, okay? Jesus says to them, kairate, which means rejoice. The first command that the risen Jesus gives in the New Testament is rejoice. He commands them to rejoice. He's not commanding us to have certain feelings. He's commanding us to, to maintain a certain disposition, a posture, an attitude of joy. That Christians are meant to be filled with joy. And I don't mean like a sort of Pollyanna joy, the sort of happy, clappy sort of you know, giddiness. That's not what I'm talking about. What we're talking about is the way that we live in light of everything that we're celebrating tonight. The fact that death is defeated. How ought you live if it's true in this world that death is defeated? How ought you live if death has been defeated? If it's true that hell has been invaded, that we have been rescued should live in such a way that radiates joy because death does not have the final say because God keeps his promises that he's faithful and that when things seem bleakest, when things seem darkest, when things seem most hopeless, the Lord who said at the beginning, let there be light, he'll say it again. Like darkness just doesn't win in this world. 
He commands us to rejoice because this whole world, this whole world with everything that you love, with every person that you love, yes, we are, even though we are destined to dust, we are not merely destined to dust. We are dust destined to glory. Dust that's destined to be divinized. That we will proclaim in the creed, I believe in the resurrection of the, the resurrection of the body. Whose body? Raise your hand if you have a body. Okay, just making sure. The resurrection of our bodies, our dust is destined for glory, that we are, as Catholic Christians, we are immersed in the waters of baptism. We are united to his death and resurrection. We get anointed with the oil of gladness. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. That power lives in us and that we feast on his risen flesh, that we get to eat the fruit of the tree of life. That's what the cross is. It's the tree of life and the Eucharist is its fruit. Jesus then says next to the women, he says, like he says so many times, do not be afraid. Man, oh man, does this resonate with me? Because how often still we are controlled by fear. We get manipulated by fear. And all fear, it ultimately, it's in the end, it's the fear of loss. It's the fear of death. It's the fear of being alone. It's the fear of being forsaken. And Jesus is saying to us this night, he's saying, do you see me? Do you see where I've been? Do you see where I am? Do you see me standing before you triumphant over death? That I've gone to the loneliest place. I've gone to the scariest place. And I've put love there. I've been there. And when you go there, I wait there for you so that you are never alone. Friends, this is so powerful for us to hear tonight, especially for our new Catholics. Because you guys have chosen to enter the church in a time when being a Christian is hard. And that's an understatement. That things over the next few months and years and decades, it's just going to get harder and darker and the challenge should be a public Christian, someone who declares publicly and outwardly my allegiance is to him, that will become even more difficult. And Jesus is going to still say to us, do not be afraid. I've overcome the world. And finally, the last command he gives is go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. That he sends them out. You cannot meet the risen Lord without being sent out on mission. That the moment that these women have this moment, this encounter with him, he's almost immediately sending them away. Almost immediately. Friends, for you 12, this is not the end of your journey. Just like Easter is not the end of something awful, it's the beginning of something. This is the beginning of something. The light that you have received, the Jesus that you have received, you have to give away. Like just like tonight, we've passed the candle. You have to pass this flame. The faith will only increase in you in the measure that you give it to others. In Jerusalem, in, in uh, the Holy Land where Deacon Rich and I went this past February, the Dead Sea is there. It's the lowest point on earth. And the reason why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because there is no place for the water to go out from the Dead Sea. It stays stagnant there. If this faith doesn't pour out of you, this oil that will smear upon your foreheads as we confirm you, as these gifts are given to you, if they don't go out of you, 
This will die in you. This gift that you are being given has to be given away. You have to give others. We all have to give others the hope that comes from this story. The hope that comes from this news that what the angel said is still true. He is not here. He has been raised. And my gosh, that changes everything. Amen.